Thanks for watching today at wildwoodchurch.com. Now here's today's message. Turn your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 75 this morning. Man, it is really exciting to be able to see a staff come together. Uh, it's difficult to, to go through staff transitions. We understand, uh, you know, why that has to happen from time to time. But uh, I was very pleased to watch Andrew walk through the process of hiring these four women uh, on our staff. Whenever I thought about, you know, what, what, what I want uh, in the next kids ministry director, I, I got it in spades uh, with, with our team that we have. And I think that our church is going to be very blessed by this kids ministry team. Uh, kids are important to Wildwood. Uh, they're important to the Lord. They're important to us. And, you know, I can't help but, but watch these kids sing and realize that, that some of them, if not many of them, will be instrumental in taking the gospel to the nations as we raise up missionaries uh, from within our congregation. Amen? Amen. Well, recently I changed uh, cell phone carriers. Have you gone through that lately? Have you switched from, you know, one major carrier to another carrier? I did it about five years ago, and I did it again uh, last month. I'm kind of a techie guy. I fall for the new phone type thing, and finally got some high-speed internet out at our rural house uh, through the deal. And so it was some pain that I was willing to bear in order to make the switch. But, you know, you go into the store, and, and it's always going to take longer than you think it is going to take. And it was two trips to the uh, to the store to make this switch. And while I'm there, you know, I, I think I've got plenty of time and, and, and he is making all kinds of promises and, and he's going crazy on the, on the scratch paper and, and I'm trying to follow along and I've got my calculator out and I'm trying to figure out exactly, my goal is exactly how much am I going to be paying every month because I want to compare one carrier to the next. And, and man, I'll tell you what, there's some fuzzy math and there's some, it, it is, what I have found, I have changed carriers. Uh, I've been with each of the three major carriers in my lifetime. And what I have found is that, is that there are promises made. And, and when it all shakes out in the, in the first couple of, of months' bills, uh, something was lost in translation. Right? There's always something that was like, hmm, I should have asked more questions. I should have read more clearly. Uh, but sometimes there's just... It's a game we play, right? You all know this, right? You don't read all of the user agreements whenever you click agree on your iPhone update, right? Or your Gmail update or whatever. We know that we're playing a bit of a game uh, and that at the end of the day, someone's going to get you at some point. And the best you can do is hope to come out on top in the end. And, you know, truthfully, it's small potatoes when we talk about financial impact. You know, it's not, it's not anything substantial. I'll forget about it in a couple of months, and in a few years, I'll see a, another thing, and I'll switch carriers again, and I'll go through the pain again. So it's not really a big deal when it comes to cell phone carriers, the loopholes and the broken promises. But I, this morning, I want us to think about what would happen if God acted like cell phone carriers? What would happen if we had the kind of uncertainty with eternal life as we have with our cell phone carrier? You ever think about that? 
You ever think about how much, how much your hope of heaven rests upon the fact that God is consistent? That God made a promise, delivered on the promise, and is never going to break his promise. I hope that that truth resonates with you this morning. That our God is a promise-keeping God. That he's never changed his mind, never changed his plan, and he never will. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 75 this morning. Luke chapter 1 captures two angelic visits. One is to Zechariah. And one is to Mary. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist, and Mary is the mother of Jesus. And they're both miraculous births. We all know the miraculous birth of Jesus. Mary was, was betrothed to Joseph, but she was a virgin, so it's a virgin birth. But Zechariah and Elizabeth was also miraculous because they were well beyond the childbearing age. The first angelic visit is to Zechariah in the temple while he's executing his priestly duties of offering incense on behalf of the people. And Zechariah sees the the vision of the angel. He hears what he says. He hears the promise of a child, and he doubted the promise, and he asked for a sign, and the sign was, you're not going to be able to speak until these things come true. Fast forward nine months And John the Baptist is born, and on the eighth day, when it's time to name the boy, Elizabeth says his name is John. His family looks at him and says, John, that's not a family name. And he writes, Zechariah writes on a tablet emphatically, John is his name. And finally, his mouth is opened, his tongue is loosed, and he begins to speak. And the first things that he says, after not speaking for nine months is contained in these verses, which is two sentences. Verses 67 through 79 is two sentences. The first sentence is is Zechariah blessing God for Jesus. The second sentence is him blessing God for John the Baptist and talking about the role that his son would play. So let's read here. We're only going to look at the first sentence, verse 67 and 75, because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. So let's read this passage and then let's dive in. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 75 says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemy, enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people 
to worship you, to hear out of the mouths of babes the gospel proclaimed clearly. The birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The long-awaited one, the one who was promised all the way back in Genesis 3. Lord, we thank you that you are not a promise breaker, but you are a promise keeper. We thank you, Lord, that in sending Jesus, you have fulfilled your promise. This is not plan B, and there will never be a plan C, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would impact our hearts. Help us to understand the magnitude of that truth, that you don't change your mind. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 67 says, after, the, after or and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So what follows is not simply a father who is beaming and, and, and boasting about his newborn son, but rather this is the, the word of the Lord. This is, this is God speaking through his prophet Zechariah, so that we would know. Zechariah is referred to as the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament prophet. And this is, this is a reminder for us of the continuation between the Old Testament promises and the New Testament fulfillment of those promises. So Zechariah is speaking on behalf of the Lord. He's speaking the words of God. And he, this is what he says in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. What a reminder that the God of the disciples, that the God of the first church, that the God of our church is the God of Israel. He is the God who chose Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, and he made promises to them that he would be their God and they would be his people and that he would send a redeemer. And he did send the redeemer. And Christians call this redeemer Lord and Savior and Messiah. And his name is Jesus. In verse 69 and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Not only has the Lord sent a redeemer as he promised, but he's raised up a horn of salvation, the power of salvation. The horn of an animal is a symbolic representation of its strength. And so what is being raised up here in Jesus is the symbolic power of the kingdom of David, the strongest king of Israel. David was a man after God's own heart, certainly not without fault, but he was a man after God's own heart. And the Lord blessed him, and the Lord blessed his kingdom for it. Israel was at its strongest ever under King David. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, 
Now, some people claim that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, citing that Paul and Peter did not refer to the Old Testament, but to the resurrection in their proclamation of the gospel. But the reality is that it was Paul who said in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, what? In accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And Peter, in articulating the mystery of the Christ, said, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. The, the prophetic word of the Old Testament prophets. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well not to unhitch yourself, but rather to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So both Peter and Paul, the most vocal leaders of the first century church, appealed to the Scriptures And what was that? The Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, the prophets, the law. The whole basis that we have to put our hope and our confidence in the gospel is that the gospel is the fulfillment of Old Testament promises and prophecies. Prophecies like this in Genesis 3.15 the very first promise, the very first prophecy of a Messiah and a Savior. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is God speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and he shall bruise your, and you shall bruise his heel. This is what's known as the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel, the first gospel proclamation. It will not always be this way. The divide between God and man will not always be this way, but I will send a rescuer, the offspring of woman, and he will crush your head, Satan. The very first gospel, the first promise. And this promise in Jeremiah 33 14 through 16. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. Do you hear the symbology, the symbolic language? In Zechariah's word, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. This is Old Testament prophecy. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in, his land, in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely, and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, I believe Pastor Matt is going to cover specific Old Testament prophecies that only Jesus could fulfill in just a couple of weeks, so I'll leave it with just those two. But Zechariah, filled by the Holy Spirit, 
began to prophesy, and he cries out, blessing God, that God has kept his promise to redeem his people. And what was the occasion? The occasion was the birth of Jesus. Now, here we are, eight days after the birth of John the Baptist, and Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesies, knowing that his son is going to pave the way, but his first attention goes to this baby that is still in Mary's womb. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies, and look at what the prophets, this is what he continues in verse 71, this is where he expounds upon what the prophets spoke, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. You know, Israel had a lot of enemies and the Lord sent many, what I would call temporal saviors, meaning that that their rescue was limited to time and space. Many of the judges, many of the kings were so-called saviors of Israel. But God, in sending Jesus, was sending a rescuer who would transcend time and space. Now, sadly, as we know, if you know much of the story of Jesus, you know that the very ones to whom this Redeemer was sent became his enemies. And he was subjected to the hands of those who hate him. Now, verse 17, uh, 72 to 75 continue the promise. Zechariah says, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And this is really the the, the point of my sermon today. In sending Jesus, God was remembering what Zechariah called his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise, uh, the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham that his offspring would be a blessing to the nations. Just as Paul said in Galatians 3.16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So we know that God's word affirms that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, that when God was promising Abraham that your offspring would be a blessing to the nations, and when God was promising in the presence of Adam and Eve in the garden, all the way back in Genesis 3, that the offspring of woman would crush his head, that the offspring refers to one man and one man only, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, here's why it matters that the birth of Christ, which is recorded in Luke chapter 2, was preceded by the acknowledgement of the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It demonstrates that God has not changed his mind. And he never will. At the time of Zechariah's prophecy, the promise that was given to Abraham was about 2,000 years old. Zechariah was about 2,000 years removed from Abraham. And Abraham was about 2,000 years removed from the Garden of Eden. 
So about 4,000 years had passed from the curse of Satan, that proto-evangelion, the first gospel, Genesis 3, and what we have in Luke chapter 1, approximately 4,000 years. And now you and I are approximately 2,000 years removed from this. It matters that what was promised in the garden 6,000 years ago was ratified in the promised land, Abraham, 4,000 years ago, was delivered in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, was fulfilled on Calvary 33 years later, and will one day be realized in glory. Now, you and I live between Calvary and glory. Calvary is the hill upon which our Lord died on the cross. And we live between Calvary and glory. And how long we live in this tension, only God knows. But one thing is important for us today. And that is that we believe that God will fulfill what he has promised because he has always fulfilled his promises. And Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, Christmas is all kinds of sentiment. It is filled, up, filled with all kinds of sentiment. We're, we're filled with all the warm fuzzies, right? The warmth, uh, the hot cocoa, the, uh, the family gatherings, the Christmas uh, presents under the tree, all the feels, right? But there is one thing that we need to know above everything else is that the birth of this baby represents God fulfilling thousands of years old prophecy. It is, it is for that reason that you and I can confidently say, when I die, I will meet Jesus Christ in glory and will dwell with God forever. When you think of the baby in the manger, that's what I want you to think. I want you think God is a promise-keeping God and the birth of his son is evidence of that. Now, as I introduced my sermon this morning, I asked you how much of your hope is hanging on God being a promise-keeping God. Well, I want to begin with the fact that God said that he is just. God said that he is just. In Nahum 1.3, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. In Psalm 37.38, it says, But transgressors or sinners or people who do wrong shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. So God said that he is not the kind of God that just allows wicked people to get off. He is a just judge. Our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Zechariah, the God who sent Jesus is a just God. He says, I'm not going to clear the wicked. I'm not going to just sweep this under the rug. I will altogether destroy the wicked, the transgressors. And Jesus taught on hell often and with sober effect. 
Jesus considered hell a real place marked by weeping and gnashing of teeth. He called it outer darkness and compared it to a perpetually burning trash heap. And hell is the just consequence of sinning against an infinitely holy God. The sober reality is that you and I have all sinned. Look at what it says here in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. So the Lord is not going to just give us a pass. We're all guilty. The wages of sin is death. What we have earned for our life in sinning against an infinitely holy God is hell. The reward of the rebellious is hell. And yet the message of the gospel is that you get heaven instead. Based on what? I will by no means clear the guilty and all are guilty. But you get heaven. That is a promise, folks, that you need to read the fine print. If if the cell phone carrier said, you know what, we like you so much, we're going to give you free cell phone service for the rest of your life. You say, where's the catch? I don't believe what you're telling me. And God says, I'm not going to clear the, the, the wicked. I'm a just judge. And the transgressors are going to be cut off forever. But you, you get heaven. You get paradise. You get to dwell with this holy God in a real place called heaven forever. And what is that based on? Grace. And grace, brothers and sisters, is a promise. Romans 6.23, the full verse, for the wages of sin is death. But watch, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Gift. A gift is a promise. You enter into a relationship with Christ and you're promised eternal life. How good is that promise? If he's like a cell phone carrier, I'd be holding my breath. But thank the Lord God Almighty that he's not. Amen? Can you fathom the anxiety that you would face if God was inconsistent. This is 90% of world religion. It's probably 100% of world religion. Because world religion is all about appeasing an inconsistent, vindictive, angry God. You can never be sure how he feels. I've had several conversations with Muslim friends, and we ask them, 
What do, you, what do you believe about the afterlife? They say, we, we try to do the best we can in this life. And when Allah comes to judge the world, he's going to weigh, weigh our actions and our deeds. And hopefully our good actions outweigh our bad. And hopefully, hopefully we enter into his paradise. Have you ever wondered what drives a man or a woman to become a jihadist? To die in service to Allah? To, to become a terrorist? To be a suicide bomber? You ever wondered what, why someone in their right mind would do that? It's because there's no certainty of the afterlife. For them, the only way to be certain of afterlife, of life in paradise, is to blow yourself up. what we take for granted. Knowing that our God is consistent. Knowing that God is not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, well, you know what? I I did tell you that you would have eternal life if you believed in Jesus. But in the fine print, there's a loophole that says you also had to jump on one foot when you took communion. And you missed it. And so I'm sorry, but eternal separation from me. Or you know what? I had a better idea. In those 2,000 years between Calvary and today, I had a better idea. And I changed my mind. And, and you know, unfortunately, you didn't get word of that. Can you imagine if God did not keep his promises? Can you imagine if God did not keep his word? Our hope of heaven rides on God accepting the gift of grace given us in Jesus Christ according to his promise. 100% of our hope rides on God saying, you know what, I promise that, I'm gonna honor that. I cannot express how important it is that Jesus is the fulfillment of promises that God made 6,000 and 4,000 and 2,000 years ago. Now the question that you ought to be asking yourself is how do I know with certainty that the promises that were made to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to David, to Zechariah are applicable to me? It's one thing for, to know that God is a promise-keeping God and that he, he gives us grace and that he's going to honor his promise. But how do I know that the promise is for me? How do I know that when I die, that I'm going to face Jesus and be welcomed to his table as a son of the Father? How do I know that? How can I know that I can, do, that I can claim the promises of God? The promise, verse 72, to show mercy, promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. How do you know that you are the benefactor of that promise? Well, Paul provides the answer to that question in Romans 8. I'd like you to turn there with me. 
Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us the answer. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So that's, that, is a, that is a clear, definitive statement in the negative. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But stated positively, it's a clear, definitive affirmation of salvation. The positive of that is anyone who does have the spirit does belong to Christ. Let's look at the role of the Holy Spirit in chapter 8, verse 12, Romans 8, 12 through 16 or 17. Here is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is called uh, the seal. He's like the seal of authenticity. Someone can say, well, I, I, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven. But if there's no seal of authenticity, there's no spirit of Christ dwelling in them, I'm sorry, but that's void. It's false. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the, one of the things that the Spirit does is he helps us put to death the deeds of the flesh, the sin nature. He helps us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, what? are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now turn over to Romans 4 and just kind of leave your finger there. And we're going to come back to that. The promise is given to who? To Abraham. What do you have to do with Abraham? The promise is to Abraham and to his offspring. Well, how is it that you, a Gentile, can say, well, that's for me? Because you believe the gospel, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reminds you that you have been given a spirit of? Sonship. What? Sonship. sonship. And how did, it, how did we get into sonship? Were we born into it? We were adopted. We're the adopted children of God. We've been adopted into the Abrahamic family. We've been grafted in, the New Testament says. Like the promise given to Abraham is ours by adoption. And the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us reminds us that that happened to us. How do we know that we have the promise of Abraham? How do we know that, that, that we're going to be with God and he's going to be with us forever? Because we've been given the spirit of adoption. And the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are in fact children of God. If you have the Holy Spirit, then you know that you are in Christ. 
you know that the gift of grace, the promise of grace, has been given to you. The gift that abounds to eternal life is yours if you have the Holy Spirit. Now, the next question is, how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? I want you to be certain, folks. I don't want anyone at Wildwood Church, if someone says, when you die, where are you going to go? To say, I don't know. I hope I go to the good place and not the bad place. I don't want anyone at Wildwood to say that. I want you to have certainty. And the New Testament wants you to have certainty. So how do you know that you have the Holy Spirit? Some people say that the evidence of the Spirit is that you speak in tongues. Tongues is an unknown language. When the first church was indwelt by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, they began to speak in languages that they did not know. And people that knew those languages heard the gospel clearly in their own tongue. Now today you have some people that say, well, if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. The problem is that the Bible outright contradicts that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul asks specifically, do all speak in tongues? And it's in a series of questions. Do all have the gift of healing? Do all prophesy? And the understood answer is no. The body has a diversity of giftings. Not everyone speaks in tongues, the Bible says. So if it's not the gift of tongues, what does demonstrate undeniably that you have the Holy Spirit and that you can claim the promise of eternal life? I hope you want to know this question, the the answer to this question, right? Because you could die today and stand before this just God who says, I will not clear the wicked, but I'm giving you a promise of grace. How do you know that you have received it? You know that you have the Holy Spirit. Ready? Because you believe God's word. You believe God's word. You believe the gospel in your heart. It's not that you can articulate it because anyone that has grown up in kids ministry can articulate the gospel. They can say the gospel. Jesus came, he died. Why? For my sin. And then what happened? He rose again from the dead. It's not just that you can say it. It's that you believe it and that you believe that without Jesus, you are hopeless that you stand before God as wicked and you deserve his just wrath and you are grateful for his undeserved grace. Ephesians 2 tells us that before we were saved, we deserve the wrath of God like the rest of mankind. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in sin and something happened to us where we were made alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
And this is, this is why we can have such confidence. The Bible speaks of future things as if they've already happened. Remember in Romans chapter 8, those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's already ha- We're waiting on it, and yet it's as if it's already happened. That's why we have confidence. Back to Ephesians 2. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul's here. God is anxiously waiting to show you for eternity his immeasurable riches of kindness. That's what waits you. Are you afraid to go and stand before God? Well, in Christ, he is waiting to show you his immeasurable kindness and mercy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. I don't know how many times Paul has to say it. Three times in these verses. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not what you do. It is what God has done for you on your behalf. That is grace. Otherwise, it's called a wage. And the wages that you earn are death. So that no one may boast. Because that's what happens. I see so many people, they, 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 but I did this. Jesus did 99.99%, but I. No, brother, you were dead. You did nothing. You were made alive together with Christ. While you were dead in sin, you were made alive in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And you were given the gift of faith to believe in Christ. Why do you believe in Christ? Because the Holy Spirit gave you faith. The Holy Spirit did a work in your life. Jeremiah prophesies, the Lord speaks to him or through him saying, there will be a day when I replace their heart of stone with a heart of flesh. We had a heart of stone. We were dead in sin. We did nothing. And all of a sudden we hear the gospel. Maybe right now, some of you are experiencing the regeneration of the Holy Spirit as we speak. Because all of a sudden, you believe. And you realize, well, wait a second, I've known this, but now I believe it. Something is happening. You, you know the Grinch movie? When they do the x-ray? You know, and his heart grows three sizes that day? Well, that's what's happening in your heart or has happened in your heart or needs to happen in your heart. A heart of stone needs to be replaced with a heart of flesh. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in you. He replaces that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. We call it being born again. Have you heard that term before? Born again. The word is regeneration. And it comes from Titus 3, 4 through 7. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. This is Paul, 
who wrote Romans, who wrote uh, Ephesians 2, how much of Paul's mind is defeating the idea that you and I could earn our way to God? It's like number one in his mind. Why? Because he knows human nature. He knows that you and I will think, will hear the gospel and will still think, ah, but I got to clean my life up. But if I could just be like all these other good people, then Jesus would accept me. Contrary. Not by works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified... Now, for the benefit of those who have not sat under my teaching in Romans for the last two years, justification is a legal declaration. It is a binding declaration by the judge that declares a person not guilty. So how is it? This is called the divine paradox. How is it that God can be a just judge and also the justifier of sinners? And here it is. We are justified. We are made not guilty. Why? Because Jesus died in your place. And the judge, he doesn't clear the guilty. He declares you not guilty. That we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can remove your fingers from Romans 4. We're going to move on from that. So Christian, you were born again by the Holy Spirit. You were regenerated. You were washed in regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You were born again, made alive by grace. You were justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You believe the gospel and you are brought from enmity with God into peace with God. You were at war with God and now there is a peace agreement and you have been adopted into his family as sons, and you are made heirs together with Christ. It's an amazing promise. Imagine the room for the loopholes. The things we take for granted. We can't even trust a cell phone carrier to not take advantage of us. And God is saying, you were at war with me and now you're at peace with me because of my promise, because of my grace. And I will never change my mind. And you know that this is true because... You know that you have been brought into peace with God 
you know that you have been born again by the Holy Spirit because today you believe the gospel. Listen, not because 20 years ago or 30 years ago or five years ago, you walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, you were emotionally manipulated and and had some kind of a response And at that point, you believe the gospel, but today you don't believe the gospel. No, you know that this is true because today, 10 years later, 30 years later, 50 years later, you still believe the gospel. You still know that you were saved by grace through faith. It's not of your own works. You still know that Jesus is your only hope. That no matter how how sanctified the Lord has made you, No matter how much he has delivered you from in your life, all the wickedness in your life, you still know that without Jesus, you are hopeless. That if Jesus were to let you go, you would fall into the pits of hell forever. Your only hope is Jesus. You believe that today. You have never moved on from the gospel. You've never gotten to a place where you say, well, you know, God's kind of lucky to have me on his team. Amen? Or ouch. I've met people like this. God's kind of fortunate that I chose him. So you believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You believe the gospel. You believe what the Bible says about Jesus. You may not know it all, right? You may may have never heard of Nahum. You you, you may not have known that he was a minor prophet. You may not have put this together. You may not have understood all these things, but when you hear it, you believe it. You say, the word of God, I believe the word of God. I believe that Jesus is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that he made a promise and he fulfilled the promise, that the birth of Jesus Christ is evidence of that. You believe that today. And furthermore, You have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God who works in you and produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You see evidence of growing faithfulness and obedience and conviction of sin and power over sin and fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you examine your life, you're not not asking yourself, have I become good enough to earn God's favor? That thought doesn't cross your mind. But rather you're saying, Holy Spirit, I see how you make me more sensitive to my sin. And when my sin is convicted, even if even if my initial response is defensiveness, Lord, I see that in short order, you cause me to repent of my sin. And rather than getting more self-righteous, the closer I get to Jesus, the more I recognize how fallen I really am. The more subtle sins you begin to reveal and the more I hate my sin nature. You routinely hear the Lord through his word and you respond in conviction. 
with repentance. You view sin differently today than you did a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. And you not only have regret over your sin, but you quickly repent when your sin is revealed. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells in your heart. You experience the Holy Spirit's constant work in your life, bringing sin to the fore and empowering you to deal with it. You hate your sin, you repent, and you say, Jesus, help, and Jesus helps. And you see life transformation. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image that is the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. I might say one step at a time. The Lord is dealing graciously and patiently with me and with you. But from one degree to another, we are being made into the image of Christ. And when I survey my life over the previous years and decades, I can see evidence that the Holy Spirit dwells in me. My hope of eternity is not based on one act that I did, but rather the evidence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. You know that you are a citizen and a future resident of heaven because God has fulfilled his promise. The promise that he made all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Proving that God has not changed his mind and God never will change his mind. And you know that his promises are for you because you are in Christ. Because you have been adopted into the family. And you know that you are in Christ because the spirit of Christ is in you. And you know that the spirit of Christ is in you because you believe the gospel and because you respond to his conviction with repentance of sin. Your life, not just your words, are evidence that the spirit of Christ dwells in you and you have confidence to stand before the throne of God as one redeemed by the blood of Christ. And it is because of that that you can echo with Zechariah this Advent season. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Wow, time got away from me. I thought I was under time. But this is important. Perhaps you can't say these things. Repent and believe the gospel. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Perhaps you need to do that now. We transition now to communion briefly. I'll call the worship team back up. Zechariah's prophecy was that the Lord God of Israel has visited and redeemed his people. How exactly did God redeem his people? He redeemed them through the blood of Jesus Christ. There are so many things that we take for granted. Sometimes we take the blood of Christ for granted. We take our redemption for granted. Communion offers us an opportunity to reflect, to pray, to ask the Lord to reveal to us our sin and to give him thanks and to worship him as we reflect upon his sacrifice. This morning, if, if you cannot say, I know I'm in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, I'm not a perfect person, but I see the evidence of him in my life and I believe the gospel. If you can't say that today, let the communion pass. Just put the cup down. But I always say this, what I would much rather you do is that you would repent and believe today. There's no work for you to do. It is a matter of, does the Holy Spirit convict you? You are the sinner for whom Christ died. Repent and believe the gospel and be saved today. Amen. We love you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in advance that you'll redeem our time. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. 2,000 years ago, people were saying, come thou long expected Jesus. And now we today say, come again, long expected Jesus. We're waiting, we're ready. But I know that there are still people that have not believed the gospel and you, you, you graciously extend the invitation. Come thou long expected Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for watching online. I hope that this message has inspired you to greater faith, has encouraged you, maybe convicted or challenged you. We're grateful to be able to provide this content to you online, live and on demand. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube so that we can get this content right to you as soon as we upload it. But you know, we believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need the body of Christ. You need the local church. And so if you're in the Quad Cities, let me invite you to personally join us in person for our gatherings on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 1040. If you're not in the Quad Cities, I want to encourage you to go find a local church that teaches the Bible, that serves the community, that loves Jesus, that gives grace. Well, hey, thanks again for watching, and we hope that you were blessed.